0: Welcome fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social and political imagination.
1: Hello, welcome to the Tent Talks podcast. I'm Stephen and it's very good to be speaking with you again. Welcome also to 2024 and the beginning of a new year. This start of a new season marks, in some ways, the end of this current season for us here at Tent Talks. We have been running the podcast now since 2020, and over the last four years, we have been saying a lot about the state of the world, the place of Christianity and religion in the world of politics and culture, seeking to renew the imagination of our social and political life. We've been talking to all sorts of amazing, interesting, lovely people, and we've had a lot of teaching, especially for me, where I have been helping to share some of the things that I've learned in the last 20 years as a political theologian. And with the coming again of of a new cycle in American politics, with the uprising of nationalism around the world, I was looking at all that we've done and wondering what to do with this podcast. And one of the things that I realized was, it's all been said. There isn't anything more to add, really, to the work that I've been doing for the last four years with this podcast. If anybody was to ask me in 2024 what to do about Trump and Christian nationalism, all I could do was say, well, the Gospel of Luke already talked about this. Mark already talked about this. We know what Jesus said and did. There isn't any new information. There's just people who don't want to hear it anymore. There's just a Christianity around the world which despises Jesus and the way of Jesus and would rather go with bullies and nationalism and pride and violence. So in some ways, I wondered what more I could say and do. And this made me start to think that maybe it was time to wind the podcast down, not because the topic is less relevant, but because I don't see a reason to keep going this way when there's other ways to communicate. I need a bit of time to sit back and restore the creative juices. I need a bit of time to sit back and observe what's going on in the world and find ways to communicate the truth to this world. And if I was to continue the podcast in the way that we've been doing it for the last four years, I really would just be repeating myself over and over again. So one of the things we're going to do is we're going to keep the material open. The podcast is coming to a close. We're not going to be making new tent talks, but we are going to keep the podcast live. And uh, I'm going to make it available to anyone who can find it. All of the teaching, all of the talks, all of the Bible teaching and the political theology and the interviews are going to stay on this feed. And every once in a while, we might re-release some old material, because this old material is always relevant. And as we come into a year of elections in America and of rising nationalisms elsewhere in the world, this material will only stay evergreen I'm also keeping all the material and teaching that I've done over the years available on the Tent Theology website, www.tenttheology.com. And if you go there, you'll find hours of teaching and talks and discussions that I've brought out from behind the paywall for anyone who could use this material and will find it useful. Speaking of paywalls, the Patreon account that supports the Tent Talks podcast has been an invaluable source for us over the last four years. A number of patrons have donated generously every month to the podcast to keep it going, and this money has been used to pay for the expenses of making the podcast. I've decided to keep the patron account open. This is for two reasons. The first reason is that there is hours of bonus material and teaching and Bible studies on the patron account, which people have had access to and are continuing to use. And I don't want to just take that away. The second reason is that because we are keeping the Tent Talks platform open and because we are still keeping the website going, there is still expenses every month that accrue to keep this thing happening. So if you are a monthly giver, and you'd like to reduce the amount that you give every month, then of course you should do that, and that is completely understandable. No need to apologize or feel bad if you need to reduce your amount. And if you have to stop completely, then of course I understand that too. I will say that the expenses of keeping tent talks and the website going continue, and so any amount that you could continue to give will go straight into making this material available for anyone who needs it. It's never easy to end a good thing. And I think tent talks has been very good. I've met good people. We've included lots of voices in this. We've seen friendships develop. We've seen communities develop. And these are all very good. And I'm very glad for what has happened because of tent talks. And also, as part of my philosophy on life, I don't think that things are meant to last forever. I don't think that it's good for good things to last indefinitely. There is something in the goodness of ending well. And I think it's time to draw this stage of tent talks to a close and to end this well. This will mean that new things will develop and can arise. But to do that, we first have to stop. This is why I thought that the final series of tent talks could be called the last word. We're going to explore with our guests the last word that they have on certain topics. What, if they knew that no one was going to argue with them, would they want to say to the audience? What do they know to be true, even if they can't prove it? What do they think is coming down the future that we should prepare for now? What kind of final words, last words, mic drops do they want to give to a willing and intelligent audience? This is the ethos behind the Last Words series. Listeners to the Tent Talks podcast know that I am not the only host of this show by any means, and we share hosting duties amongst a number of people. Two people in particular have been with the Tent Talks since the beginning. Chris Marchand and Sean McCoy have lent their expertise and their wisdom to the Tent Talks right from the start. I reached out to them when I knew I wanted to start Tent Talks because I was a fan of their respective podcasts as well, and I knew they had a lot to bring to the table. For this series, you're going to hear, first of all, me sit down and have a three-way conversation with Sean and Chris about our last words and about uh, our reflection on the Tent Talks over the last few years and where we, we are going now and where we think it's going to go. And then you're going to hear me have a conversation with Natasha Beckles Again, fans of the show will know that Natasha is also a regular voice and a guest host on this program. She wasn't able to join the conversation I had with Sean and Chris, so I sat down and interviewed her separately, because I still wanted to capture her last words and final thoughts. The other person you're going to hear today is Brad Jerzak, and I did the same thing with him. As a former and fellow guest host, and also as a friend to the show, I wanted to hear what he thought about things and what his final words would be next week. You'll get Chris Marchand's vision of last words, and he has put together a program based on what he would like to do with this theme. The next week after that, Sean McCoy will also do something similar and he's brought in some people that are going to help talk about his vision for last words. And then in the fourth and final episode of the series, we're going to join us again for the three way conversation, and I'm going to speak to a couple of more people who were previous guests on the Tent Talks program. The idea is to hear old voices as well as new voices and to find ways to end well this thing that we started. Thank you for joining us on the journey of Tent Talks. Although Tent Talks in the next few weeks is coming to a close that does not mean that the work is stopped it doesn't mean that we have stopped it doesn't mean that the things we think and care about are less important it just means that it's time to end one thing well so that new things can arise in their place i hope you enjoy this series and i have very much enjoyed being with you for the last few years and i hope that it may long continue in new and exciting forms As always, you can contact me directly, stephen at tenttheology.com, or you can check out the links that are going to be put into the show notes to the patron page and to the Tent Theology website. It would be excellent to hear your views and to hear your comments and your vision of what might come in the place of the old Tent Talks podcast. But until then, I hope you enjoy this program
2: and it's my pleasure and honor i asked as part of the final say for two special guests who need no introduction to be a uh, part of a couple of conversations as we wrap up this wonderful journey. It's our very own uh, Stephen Backhouse and Chris Marchand, mainly because this is where it started. Uh, it, everybody knows it started with Stephen. I you know it started with him reaching out to Chris and I. Uh, personally, he knew us both individually through the podcasting world. And that he w- was like, hey, I don't know anything about this podcast stuff. You guys seem to. Can you help me out? And what's really interesting, and I don't know how many people know this, but he didn't know that Chris and I knew each other, and Chris had actually been on my pod as well, and so it was really nice because I so I was familiar with Chris and his work and who he was. I was more than happy with it, and it just felt like uh, what I could do to honor my my feelings toward these two gentlemen, what it's been like for me, was to was to interview them at at the end of it and have a chance to just talk about the journey, what it's been like for them, what they've learned, where they are now versus where we started. Uh, some of the things that stand out, things of that nature, would be part of the first half. And then the second half is going to be around, all right, great. And as as Stephen so eloquently put it, ending well, which we're trying to do, uh, but there's always going to be a next chapter. So what does it look like in the future? What's, what's going on? How are you going to handle things that are coming? 2024 still is coming, and there's going to be a 2026 and a 2028, and there's always going to be the next thing. But in, in lieu of that, we're, what's, what's what's in store for the... Stephen and Chris going forward and those kinds of things. And so with that, I asked them to come on and be my guests as well. So, gentlemen, thank you for coming <laughs> Got on. The gang back together for one last heist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the end, is that? But uh, yes, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it, guys. So I want to get started as I told you, Chris and Stephen. Is you know, as we look back at that from that moment, what we've done uh, collectively with, along with Natasha and others, uh, so many others that have contributed to this and and been such a wonderful part of it. But what is it? What has it been like? Stephen, for you, uh, you know where are you now as you look back at the last you know three and a half four years now that we've been doing this? You know looking if you were to talk if you were to say something to yourself back then about what's coming, what would stand out? Like what would be the the highlights and things that stood out to you the most about what you've learned on this uh, on this journey?
1: Uh, well, it it is interesting, isn't it, that one of the reasons I decided to that it was time to end the tent podcast, I mean, for one thing, I didn't make something that was going to last forever. I don't believe in creating things that last forever. So that was always I was like, well, things got to end well, you know, and, and that's part of what we need to do. But to be honest, one of the things, one of the reasons I knew I needed to end was that you guys are all going to elect Trump again in 2024. And I just said, it's all happening again. It's just like, this is why I started this podcast, because the Christians had lost their tiny minds about power and violence and nationalism. And I had so many people writing me emails, asking me questions about Trump, and how in the world could evangelicals love him so much? And I started a podcast because that, because of that, just I couldn't answer all the questions, all the emails I had coming to me. And we did our stuff for three or four years, and it's all happening again. <laughs> and and it's going to get worse. I mean, I hear we're getting into the last words, but like the people who like that kind of thing, they love it even more. Like nobody's learnt their lesson, as far as I can tell. Very few people and and i just thought i don't have anything left in the chamber there's nothing new i can say it's all been said and not only did i it's all been said 2000 years ago as well by the way you know it's all said in the gospel of mark like i just don't have anything more i can't keep fighting this fight over and over and over again so one of the reasons why i thought okay i need to the the work the body of work is here it's good I'm not going to end it. I'm not going to remove it from the airwaves. I want people to still access it, but it's not going to change. You know, my response to the modern era doesn't change. It was the same three years ago as it is today or whatever. And so I just thought, I think this body of work and our conversations needs to stay up so that people can still find it. But I need to find new ways of speaking about the same things. And part of me saw this coming and I was like, I I think I need to to find new ways to be in this world and i love the podcast i love meeting you guys i love the work that we've done i've loved all of our guests and they're not that's not going away but it's in some ways as relevant in 2024 as it was four years ago and so i just i think okay that's there now what's new what else can we do so part of what i'm doing is going a bit a bit going to ground um some of you who follow if you did follow me on on instagram i mean i was on facebook i came off facebook a few years ago i was on instagram i've just come off that i've deactivated my account part of what i'm trying to do is it, i'm not disappearing but i i'm just going quiet for a while while i think about what the next thing is and all the kind of angry noise that's out there attracting our attention and grabbing our agenda that's only going to get angrier and noisier and there's a lot of heat but you know they well what do they say a lot of smoke but no heat a lot of uh smoke but no light in those ang- in those angry conversations and i just think ah uh, i think i need to separate myself from some of this right at the moment not because i don't think it's important but because i think i need to learn what to say I need to listen a bit better And I don't know what's coming. I just, I think some big things have ended. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, Sean. But anyway, that's, so that's one of the weird things. You asked, what did I learn? It's like, well, one of the things I learned from this, from this time of doing this podcast is that, that it, it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't become a major popular runaway viral success. Christians, uh, one of the things that's happened is my, my traveling, uh, my, my freelance theology teaching. Uh, business went bankrupt or which is dried up um uh books that i tried to get published got got rejected by publishers i have learned that people the world doesn't want what what i what i want to say and uh that's okay that's okay that doesn't mean just because i didn't succeed doesn't mean that it was bad right Uh, that's fine but i have learned that that christians don't want what i'm saying and that's something that i find really interesting christians don't don't like it when i speak. So I've learned that
3: Steven, I've had a burning question. You, you, you actually like segued right into my burning question and it's like, it's like a complicated question. Uh I guess I I was, I've been wondering if you've assessed that at all. Uh, Do you think there's something about it? Like you're, you're in England and and in some ways you're, you're speaking to Americans. So there's a disconnect. I mean, I I don't know that we would be called trendsetters necessarily, but you know, we did start a, a, a podcast warning against Christian nationalism and then all of a sudden, in the last few years, all these other kind of venues, you know, other, other ways, along with, like, church abuse podcasts, right? Yeah. It's all kind of filtered into the same type of thing. Like, I don't I don't yeah. understand it either. We've had a moderately successful podcast. Is it, I mean, is it the message? I mean, what is it? There's a lot of people speaking against Christian nationalism now, just as much as there are people speaking for it. Uh, how have you assessed that? Do you take it personally? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you,
1: listeners can't see the, the smile on my face when I'm saying like I'm a failure. I'm not even sin. I'm not even mad about it. I'm just like, wow, that's interesting, you know. Yeah, and I'm smiling, yeah. you know, because I think I think we've really come to the end of something. And it's not that the churches are going away. It's not that Christianity is going away. It's that it's that the words. It's a bit like the Princess Bride, you know. I I think you keep using those words, and I don't think they mean what you what you think they mean. And I think that these things like church and Christianity and all that, they're there. They're still humming along. And I don't think they mean anymore what I used to mean by them. And I and I've just watched these things part and I've watched the abuse scandals and I've watched countless like literally I cannot I have lost track of religious Christian leaders who have all sorts of moral failings, sexual money, power, all of it. And I've watched, I've had countless young people that I know uh, decide they don't want to be Christian anymore, but they still like Jesus. I just know so many friends who are absolutely committed followers of Jesus who just can't go to church anymore on a Sunday morning. And this is in this country, this is in England, this is in America, this is in Canada. I've just noticed this happening. It's like there has been a parting of the ways between people who like Jesus and people who are Christians in lots and lots of places. And I don't even have a word for it. I don't know what to make of it, but I can see it happening everywhere. And I think like our friend Brad Jerzak talks about all the time is like, there's the apparatus of Christendom and Christian. And it's not just Christendom, like Christianity itself. There's the apparatus of the religion. And then there's, there's the message of Jesus. And those two things don't coincide. And once you start to notice it, it's really hard not to unsee it, you know, and I think a lot of people are just, they can't unsee it anymore. And they're just giving up on the institution, on the apparatus. And I guess that's, that's me as well, I guess. <laughs> and it's, and it's almost like, so one of the things I've been thinking about is, uh, I went on a, I really love Robin hood. So one of my earliest memories is of going to Sherwood forest when I was a little boy and uh, so i was canadian but i was we were visiting england i was a six-year-old boy and i was in sherwood forest and i re- remember that really clearly and i've always loved robin hood because of that and uh, last a few months ago I, ne- I had to go on a little i basically needed to go away on a spiritual retreat because i needed to get my to clear my head and i i went to uh i didn't want to go to like some retreat center i didn't want to deal with looking at christian paperback books you know in my room or i didn't want to have to go to structured prayers or anything like that i was like no i just want to go away on a retreat but that isn't in a retreat center and i thought i know i'll go to sherwood forest so i went i rented a little airbnb and i went to sherwood forest for the weekend and i was walking around there and i and i was looking in the visitor center and in the museum there and stuff and one of the things that really struck me was that the story of robin hood like who cares if he was really real or not it doesn't matter but the story of robin hood is the story of of robin and his men and especially friar tuck think of friar tuck who's a monk in the church and they have all found themselves they were all loyal to their king and to their bishops and their their church and then the institutions around them changed the whole like apparatus around them changed and in the story of friar tuck for example he is kicked out he he's not some rebel he is just doing his thing and he is kicked out his bishop kicks him out Robin is not some rebel he is just loyal to the rightful king and then the next king comes along and says no all that loyalty that you were supposed to serve to your old king you have to serve it to me now and he wasn't the lawful king and so Robin finds himself on the outside and i thought it's interesting I, that's how i feel about about the, some of the things i'm watching and observing in the world right now it's like a bunch of people who are like they wake up one morning and all of a sudden they're on the outside of something because it changed around them it's not because they set themselves against it you know so how do we live now how do you live as a band of merry men in sherwood forest when you used to live in the middle of the centers of power and privilege how do you live when all of a sudden you find yourself on the
2: outside i think there might be something there well it sounds like jesus to me but yeah exactly so chris let me ask you let me me, yeah let me let me ask you a question chris uh, in the same context to give you some kind of a chance to kind of I'll plant your seed if you will or plant your your totem on regards to like where you you, you find a lot of synergy with steven or you do you have a break and go from there in terms of what, what we've done and what the podcast means and things of that nature where, where are you in terms of looking back at what we've been doing <laughs> yeah i i think kind of
3: very similarly uh I, i'll say this as a as a preface when the idea of introducing that we were going to set aside the podcast, right? Both of you know that I struggled with that Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, oh, what does that mean? Right. You know, and maybe the way that I liken it and I I'm going to use two filmmakers here is Quentin Tarantino or Martin Scorsese. And right now, Quentin Tarantino, he's like threatening, like, yeah, once I make 10 films, I'm done. I'm just, that's just not what I'm going to do anymore. Martin Scorsese. I think he'll be editing a film on his dying breath Right, and I, I'm I'm more in the Scorsese vein. It's like, listen, God put me here. Uh, you know, I have this burning passion in my heart. I'm gonna make a movie about the genocide of Native Americans in my 80s. Right? Yeah, I'm gonna do that. I, I'm talking about Killers of the mm-hmm. Flower Moon. He's just always gonna be making stuff. So, in that sense, it's it's been tough to think about like setting this aside. But I've really come to be at peace about it for for the very reasons that you mentioned stephen right like it's it's okay. It's okay to set something down to lay it down, and just let it be and i I feel okay with that i I also feel very similar to <laughs> this like I don't like many of us we don't know what to do with America right now, and part of it is maybe one way that i would liken it is competing narratives. like there's just so many versions of everything and everyone's just screaming into the void of it all. <laughs> and like like what i mean is see there's this b- guy that put out a book on christian nationalism, the case for christian nationalism and like you can't pin this guy down. He's like Mm -hmm. some kind of Loki figure. Like who is he, right? Like everything he says is a dog whistle for racism. And yet he's going, he's, every time you call him on, he's like, huh, me? And I think America is just kind of this insanity of competing narratives. And that might be another reason, Stephen, to just like step back, right? It's like, why am I engaging with this? This is not healthy to my soul. It's not healthy to a lot of people. So, you know, I, you know, in terms of like where I'm at, I guess I'm in a, in a, in a pretty similar place while also thinking, yeah, but you got to keep making stuff or you got to keep thinking like what, what, what is next? Yeah. At the same time, I totally recognize like if you're, if the tank is empty, right. Whether personally, well, you know, t- totally respect any of that. So I'm fully on board with that myself. I'm going to, I'm, I'm hoping to pivot, pivot to something else. Uh, you know, something as been laid on my heart and i'll you know maybe i'll get to that later but it's just, it's it's yeah yeah i guess i'm at i'm at peace with where we're at but also have no idea what we're gonna do in america or even I, you know again it's interesting when, when we've done shay's series that have, that has caused me to think like yeah so what what is britain like right now like yeah. what what are what's in the water there yeah i know that america maybe this is one thing too i'll say this i'll cap it off here is if anything one, one hope that I've had with this podcast is that it does bring people some peace, even in the midst of knowing they've chosen to follow after Jesus and everyone's going to reject them for it. it. Just because America's so freaking anxious, mm-hmm. right? Like, everybody is just on edge. Like, we are – We it's like we, we have the apocalypse in our brains right now, like the little seed of it. It's just like everyone's walking around with it, like looking at it. Like, is it going to be you? Is it going to be you? Are you going to – you know, are you going to take the ax to me? Are you, mm. you know, we're all kind of like, we have this inside of us. And so I hope to create a world where we we learn to live at peace with each other. Like, and that and that's the posture. That's the narrative. I I'm really into narratives right now. So it's, uh, to me, it's like what cultural narrative are we putting out there? So I'm just, I'm at peace with what we've put out there these past four years.
2: So so there's a last question I want to ask each of you, but there's a middle question. Uh, so Stephen, building on what you just said was there a guest or a topic or something that you can recall that stands out that you just kind of felt like should have been more of the the catalyst for change that, man, so-and-so's perception on such and such, this series or this this perspective, this should have been the thing or could have been the thing that made people go, aha. right, and change the narrative, as Chris was talking about, in their own world and go, am I reading this right? Am I looking at this person with this, you know, blind adoration, or should I really be trusting all there is that I have into this person? If I really love Jesus first. How do I is there somebody was there an experience or somebody that you a book a podcast a person that came well, across? I, I wasn't hands out I, to you?
1: I never I never actually I mean, I was joking a bit about saying it, we didn't change anybody's mind. I mean, I wasn't I never thought that I was trying to change people's minds. I was always trying to provide a space and resources for people who who already knew that something was wrong. So I wasn't trying to convince you something was wrong. I was trying to provide a place for people who sensed or felt something was wrong. And then we're just trying to think about it, right? So, that, So in that sense, I was trying not to, we never set up a debate. We really tried hard not to make it a debate podcast, right? And even though we did have one series where we talked with people we disagreed with, we even then put a lot of effort into making sure it wasn't a debate. We weren't trying to like score points and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I never was meant to be a podcast about that. But as we showed people, showcased people, I'm thinking of somebody like Bob Eckblad, for example. I don't know if you guys remember. Mm-hmm. Bob Eckblad is this New Testament scholar, really, really kind and generous and sort of humble guy. When you think about somebody like him, toiling away on the margins really good at what he does but not you know he's not recognized right by anybody and and it's not like i thought my podcast will make him recognized by the church i didn't think that i didn't think that but it's more like as we talk to people like a bob eckblad you realize oh yeah the really good people are are they're not a prophet is not welcome in his hometown like the really good, honest, true people, they don't go very far in this Christian world that we've invented. And so it wasn't like that. I thought Bob Eckblad's episode was meant to shoot him into superstardom. It was more like thinking, yeah, here's a, here's another, yet another example of yet another person who's, who's the best at what they do. And, and Kent doesn't make a dent in the popular Christian world. And that to me just, is such a sense of damnation of the popular Christian world. Like it says so much about popular Christianity. I don't, I don't think Bob Eckblad's a failure. I think popular Christianity is a failure. And, um, you know, and I, and I think that about a lot of the guests that we've had and a lot of the people that we, we speak with and talk to, and you just kind of wish that these were the same voices that were more heard and more popular and more mainstream, you know, cause they're not, they're not speaking they're not outside they're not speaking unorthodoxy they're not speaking weird liberal heresy <laughs> which is what all their popular conservative majority say they are they're just doing the right thing they're just doing it and they're true and they're good but they're actually ignored and they have n- almost no impact on popular christianity so um i i think i've noticed that about a lot of I would say that about a lot of our guests. There isn't one episode or anything. that. No, Sean. There's just this sort of sense of like, well, there's a lot of people out there. I think um, David Benjamin Blower is another example of somebody, I think, doing some brilliant work out there. Doesn't really have an impact. Lisa Sharon Harper is somebody that I've I've really enjoyed talking with. I guess she has a, a bit of a voice, but not hardly as, as much of a voice as she should have. As somebody as, as her quality should have. You know if, if if this was a nation if this was a a christianity that really loved jesus this would re- our uh, our guests would be a lot more prominently placed than they are so i find it's interesting that our get our podcast was almost like a lot a lot of showcasing of of underheard voices uh, we didn't really have too many ce- what we would call celebrities we had a lot of, sort of underheard voices and um, yeah, and I wish I wish that they hadn't been underheard. How
2: about you, Chris? Same question, same idea.
1: I guess I have two. Really, they're kind of like
3: two prongs of like passions of mine over the past few years. Uh, one is Lucy Peppiat, right? And uh, I just recently listened to a podcast interview where she in some ways went through one of the the theses of, of her book uh, on women in ministry. You know, her book, she has a book on women in First Corinthians and how that's dealt with. And like, like you said, Stephen, you know, here she is. She's just trying to be faithful to scripture. She's trying to wrestle with the people that she sees in her life about regarding women and being ministers and church leaders. She's speaking sense, she's doing so calmly. She's reasoned. She's scholarly. She's loving, right? She's passionate. Who wouldn't like Lucy pepiat right? Like, I don't know if uh, if Britain has a Beth Moore, right? But it's like, hey, could Lucy Pepiat be the Beth Moore of England because she's so cool? Uh, I'm gonna hang out with her, and and yet it's kind of like has have her words made a massive impact to some people? Yeah, but, but guess what? Nobody else has really taken her seriously, so that's kind of interesting, right? It's it's the same kind of answer. The other one, and, and this what I would say is maybe kind of a slight. Celebrity, which as I look back on it, uh-huh. I can't believe you had this guy on the podcast, just, just knowing his history is Mark Charles. Oh, yeah, is Mark Charles. We we had a guy on the podcast that ran for president twice, <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? Like we had I, I him twice mean, on, yeah. We had him, we <laughs> had him on twice. <laughs> as I look back on that, I'm like, we that's amazing, right? Sure, we had an episode with the Archbishop of Canterbury, but I'm kind of more impressed with Mark Charles. But 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 he's another example. When you listen to him, when I listen to him, I go, oh, here's a man who's speaking sense. Yeah. He's, yeah. He he knows what he's talking about. He should be even angrier than he even is.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I know, like, right?
3: He should be way angrier. Yeah. And yet here he is yeah. kind of being calm, laying down his arguments. And yet everyone's just like, oh, let's vote for the two main parties again or whatever it happens to be. Like, but the status quo is like... I don't know how you break the cycle. I guess that's that's the status quo is a power and principality, right? Oh yeah,
1: you 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 engage in alternative politics. You step out of this. You just stop. You stop engaging with it. You engage with it by not engaging with it, and you say we're going to mm. do something different. You know? Yeah. No, I'm glad you mentioned Mark. That that that's a good idea. Yeah, I do often think like if 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 politicians. Who call themselves Christians were actually followers of Jesus, they'd look a lot more like Mark Charles than they'd look like any of your Republican Christians. You know, it's you know, it's they just look more like that. And I wish we'd had more people like that. And also they would then spectacularly be unelectable, like Mark Charles is, you know. And and but we need that. You need to see that. Followers of Jesus, like Christians need to see that being a follower of Jesus is unelectable in America or in the UK. They need to see that because right now they don't. They don't. They don't recognize that, and they think it's possible. And that would show you something, you know. If you if you had a bunch of people who were actually followers of Jesus in this political realm that we're in, just think how odd and different and alternative they would actually be, you know. I mean, I was thinking of I had two f- favorite guests, and it wasn't that they made me sad. I mean, Tanasia Laree was somebody that I just thought. I loved having her on the, the podcast and I love her, her voice. She's like so hopeful all the time. <laughs> I thought, okay, I need some of this that, that it doesn't have to just be angry people. As, as, I'm glad you mentioned Mark Charles was actually not as angry as he probably could be or should be. And I remember Tanasha just like, she's not been treated well in lots of places. And yet she's just so much more hopeful than I would have thought anybody had a right to be. I also loved Sean, your interview of Neil Douglas Clott I just, uh, to me, that was just a life changer for me, listening to that, uh because I didn't interview him, I didn't know anything about him, you know, and I learned about him because of your interview, and that I just thought that was amazing. I was like, why didn't, how come I've not heard this before, you know, how come my Christianity hasn't introduced me to this kind of idea before? So <laughs> I was really glad for that. So I wish, I wish he, I wish he'd get more of a platform.
2: <laughs> well, but I could return the favor, and so it's interesting because. As you all both know, the upcoming guest that my last guest guest is a lady named Rachel Howe, which I'm 100% sure nobody's ever heard of. So it's in that same premise of exactly. giving voice to those who yeah. need, the, need that. But I want to ask because one of the things you, you mentioned earlier, Stephen, was around how we change uh, and we seem to then get on the outskirts. But I wonder if it's that as much as we then recognize the very system that we're in and have been in. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, because that was my, definitely my journey. Uh, in, in hearing you for the first time, uh, you know, Brian's on kind of, kind of
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, continued to, to take down that wall, but it was the holistic version of nationalism for me to recognize in my own world was, was words that you'd given me. and you were somebody that I'd never heard of, didn't know who you were. Um, uh, but, it, but what changed was my then understanding of the system that, that it had always been,
0: that it had always been in
2: there, that it's a little bit of that is the timing of it. Um, and I think about your Robin Hood example, you know, the lawful King, uh, is is highly subjective, right? In terms of in terms of which which round of authority and how they got there, it makes me think of Monty Python and my favorite scene in that whole movie about you know, who elected you. We don't you know you don't vote for a king. <laughs> and look, strange women lying in ponds. I mean, since I was a kid, that's been my I just absolutely love that whole entire scene. Um, but I want to ask you, like, is it when it comes to that change? Because I think it's it's in the spirit of what I was asking before and what you're saying, and I, and. And I do sympathize with kind of the, wanting this to have done more. I, I, but was it ever going to when it's when it's when you require a counter-narrative to the to the to the to the behemoth? You know, what makes and it's not just that the that the the centerline Christianity, Western evangelical, whatever is necessarily even the narrative that is uh, to to Chris's point, is this narrative that is the truth? It's the one that's pumping the system and making things move and creating dollars and boosting economics and creating, you know, these uh, you know tours and and book deals and podcast hits and which are really nothing more than economic stimulus at the end of the day. Sadly speaking, so I wasn't asking in in those contexts. Is it? Is it? and those things are hard. Like as somebody who's been through this, and I've mentioned so many times in this podcast when you're confronted with that, like even earlier when you were first talking about your country and every time you've said that since we've been on here, I, I, the twinge has gotten super low for me, but there still is that like making fun of your family member kind of thing. And you're just kind of like, and when you first started saying it, I I started getting very defensive in my own little world. It started to re, but it, and it's gone. It's funny to hear this now because then my voice, that, that response has gotten super low, but I know the second you challenge that system, with the people that I know, even if they're trying to discern the stuff we're talking about. And then all of a sudden it's just USA, USA. You want to get a crowd fired up and just completely oblivious to the nuances of somebody like a Mark Charles. And he starts talking to you about what Lincoln was really like as a president and what's being written. those words that I mean, he's talking about the words that are like literally in stone next to him underneath the Lincoln Memorial are basically just these diatribes of just just awful perspective on human beings because of perceived differences. And all you got to do is start chanting USA, 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 and then Lincoln, you are going to get forced. Out. And Mark Charles would be literally forced out of that, you know, that situation. So, so when you come up against that system, like what, I don't know, what say you about how you confront that? Cause you're not going to be popular when you're not the majority voice.
1: No. And it's no, but the, the... The fact that you're not popular is just confirmation it doesn't so once you start to separate the idea that oh yeah being popular and being true are not the same thing once you realize that that that's that being true doesn't make you popular then you can kind of be free from that and you're like okay well what i was trying to do was like i said i wasn't i'm not trying to convert people i'm trying to fly a flag to find the people who already know there's a problem so i sort of put my flag up above the parapet and I wave it and I see who shows up you know and that has happened and so for me this is a success like this is a mark of of my success of of what I tried to do with this podcast was that I did find lots of people and a lot of them are patrons you know they they they're committed to keeping this thing going and I'm and I meet with them most months and I get emails from people or you know I or we we find guests or we uh, Sean you're going to interview somebody who she she's listened to the podcast we did I didn't know that you know and and yet it was she's got her own story to tell and it wasn't just the circle of my friends who were listening to my podcast to support me it was it's was finding people and it was that's great and because I don't believe that m- numbers equal quantity equals quality I don't think it's a failure I was joking when I said we were a failure because we actually found our people. We we are not a runaway smash hit. We didn't make lots of money. We didn't influence the mass media culture, but we are a success because we found real human beings and we connected them to each other. So I'm glad for that, but I can't fight the fight. You know, I can't, I, there's, there's a sense yeah. of don't throw your pearls to swine. It's kind of like, if what you're trying to do is to convince USA Patriots to stop being patriotic, then you, you're wasting everyone's time but if i just fly the flag and i say maybe being patriotic is not the same as following jesus but i don't try and argue anybody i just say it maybe once in a while a random person like you sean will hear it and then and then you came and sent me sent me an email or something you know (laughs) like i wasn't seeking you out do you know what i mean i didn't say oh that sean mccoy guy i gotta (laughs) i gotta take him down a peg or two (laughs) <laughs> i wasn't trying to argue anybody i was just trying to say well this is what i've these are the conclusions i've come to if anybody wants to hear them <laughs> i'm happy to talk about them. so i i don't know it's a fine line trying not to argue but trying to say the truth without turning it into an argument to win
2: it's a fine line so as we wrap up this first half chris i'm going to ask you in the same breath but add a little nuance to that as somebody who's a priest uh, deals with people on a daily basis you know as we come as you, as you go into these conversations like this with somebody, you know, our tendency as humans, especially those that know more than others is to be like, I know more than you do. I'm more aware than you are. I, I have given this more thought than, and you're asking me this pedestrian question. How do you engage with people that are going, starting this journey? Are we going to, need to go through this kind of stuff and, and keep the patron? Cause I think you're really good at this. Like you just, I think you have this warm personality. You don't, I don't feel that way ever from you in any context. So how do you maintain that? And what's, what's kind of the tips that you, that you tell yourself to, to maintain that, that type of approach?
3: Oh man, I feel like Stephen here where it's like, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that question. Um, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, recently I was talking with a, a parent of one of my students and we started to get into the Palestine and Israel debate and like I, 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 this, this is a woman, a parent that I actually respect. I get along really well with, I, I, by the way, as a reminder, I teach online. So it's kind of a strange context. I don't see, I'm not present with these people physically, but, but there's interaction. Right. And I was talking to her about another issue. We started getting into about Israel and Palestine, and she started a fire hose at me every reason of defending Israel everything. Like there was like 0% of like, yeah, maybe the Palestinians have a point here. There was nothing. There was just like, there was no leeway. So my answer in that moment, Sean, was just to shut down. <laughs> like I, I you know, I hadn't done 20 hours of research. I didn't know what to tell her. I, I just wanted to say, listen, I don't really care about all of your reasoning here. That's what I wanted to say. I don't care. Uh, Why are you defending a country that's killing people? Like, why? Why do you feel the need to do that? Is what I wanted to say, but I kind of emotionally shut down in the moment, and and that's kind of what I do sometimes. Uh, I think we've we've talked enough about this. Like, we've all dealt with our own like childhood issues and like conflict and fighting and arguing. That's kind of sometimes what I do, right? I just kind of shut down when I'm getting that kind of feedback, right? So I don't know. I don't know that I have a great answer (laughs) to your question. I think though. Maybe for me, as an introverted person, it's like trying to figure out how to come up with good questions beforehand, knowing how to introduce those into a conversation, so that when I, when I find myself in an emotional situation, I don't know how to respond to this person. Maybe I can just ask a, a, a decent follow up question, something to open open it up to get them to think. That's kind of along those lines. A- another thing, though, is like I'm just I'm in the midst of maybe like Stephen trying to figure out like how to introduce the conversation in different ways because i can't deal with everybody's stuff all the time like like this i have a new podcast that i'm trying to put out into the world and it's going to be about church abuse and right now i am dreading uh, like having to put this uh, like a link online and then having a thousand people respond to it. I, I've kind of decided right now that I'm almost just not going to do it. I'm just like not going to engage with it. I can't deal with it mentally and emotionally. So I, I don't know. Um, maybe it's this. Is, and I don't know if I have time for this even in my own life. Is just to have personal conversations. And tr- to try to understand where someone is at. Right? So like Sean, I've given up on talking about like giving up guns in America. I mean, I'm just I mean, like, what's the point of even talking about guns in America with people who are gun owners? Uh, so like, but maybe if I can sit down with somebody individually and I can, inter- you know, just just try to hear where they're at. I mean, because come on, Sean, we we know this. There's always going to be the coyote defense. There's always going to be the yeah, but I might have to kill a coyote. Right. So like, least, yeah. what's that at, at the, the very, very least. least at the yeah. very least? Yeah. Right. So like, like, and it's like, yeah, you're right. You might have to kill a coyote. Okay. All right. You know, so, so but maybe in the midst of that, like, like one-on-one, there's ways that we can just like, like you said, Stephen you find a Sean and you're like, you, you start, you get to somebody and you, you you
1: introduce a different way of seeing the world to them. I've been trying mm-hmm. to think about, the, I mean, we kind of want to talk about the I think Sean wants us to talk about what we think is coming up for the future in the sense of our, our own last words. Right. But I think that there's, I don't know the words yet for it, but there is something of that Robin Hood thing where there are increasingly more and more people who are finding themselves outside of the systems that they used to have their identity in. And I want to find ways to connect those people or to find those people or to help them to live. And it might look like you just said, Chris, one to one, it might look much more like small conversations than it looks like yet another movement started with yet another you know leadership hierarchy and income stream and media empire behind it it just those are the things that people have are done with right there are people who who are done with that kind of stuff so we're not supposed to just invent a new one (laughs) so yeah i don't know what the word is for it but i think it's people who find themselves outside of the principalities and now all that they're left with is these one-to-ones
2: But Stephen, you could have passive income while you're sleeping that you could just wake up to. And what would be better than that? What would be better than just, you know, multiple sources of income for you to just you know live a life of luxury? So so all joking aside, as we wrap up this first half. Thank you, gentlemen. And I and and Chris, I do want to say it's funny that you say you don't have an answer, but I do want to point out that I think the idea of not saying anything might be one of the best answers ever, (laughs) quite honestly. One of the things I've learned in this in school, this, as, you, as you guys know, and I don't know if the, if everybody else out there knows but I'm about three-fourths away through my master's degree in clinical mental health counseling to become a therapist. I may have mentioned that before, but one of the things that was the most interesting uh, things I have learned in this in this uh, so far, and I have now seen it in real life with a friend of mine, specifically around the power of silence that sometimes it's just easier not to say anything. not easier but it's it's a better use of the time. And to try to debate instead of just, like you said, locking arms with that or locking horns with that lady, and being like, "Dang it, you know, Palestinians are people too." Blah 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 blah. It's just not engaging. You know, just letting that thing run off into the sunset. Like, okay, well, off we go. I don't know. I thought that was a really brilliant answer. So anyway, um, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this first half. We're going to come back in a few episodes to wrap up the future as Stephen was talking about. What? What say you, at Nostradamus? Is, uh the two of you what is coming not only for you personally but for the world and things of that nature
1: well i'm very glad to welcome my great friend natasha beckles back to the tent Listeners will be totally aware who Natasha is. She has been a guest. She's been a co-host. She has been a host, of running a couple of series and interviewing people. And uh, for the last word for our final run of the Tent Podcast, I put the call out to previous hosts, saying, "Do you want to interview some of the some of the guests that you've had in the past and, and capture their last words?" And Natasha is a busy woman she has lots going on and it was going to be sort of difficult for her to get uh, time to interview people and i was like yeah but i really want you on this final uh (laughs) final series natasha what if i interviewed you and got your last words and so natasha has graciously cleared some time in her schedule and i'm sure she'll tell us a bit about all that's going on but natasha thank you for coming back it's really nice to see you
0: it's lovely to be here
1: really good. Now the the concept here is the last word. The the, the concept here I'm going to ask you a few questions. I'm going to say like what do you believe to be true even if you can't prove it? I want to find out from you about what do you think, you know, you're a wise person, you have you you have your eyes on on society and on history and and on what's going on like what do you think is coming in the future? What is your hunch? What is your gut instinct? And what do you think we could be prepared for? And then I want to find out what your last words are. You, We have an engaged audience in front of us. What would the final thing be that you, if you had a last word to say to them and, and you knew that I wouldn't argue with you. Nobody's going to argue with you. You just get to say the last word. Mic drop moment, Natasha. <laughs> so before we go into this, tell us, what, is, what have you been up to lately? What's the, what are some of the things on your horizon and your heart and mind these days?
0: It's been an interesting journey. I finished my final year as the curate, which is the kind of post ordination training process that you go through in the Church of England. And I didn't get a job straight away uh, and took on uh, an interim post that was quite specialised to the um, area that I've been working in because we've got a lot of interregnums or vacancies. And so that's been a really great opportunity to lean in more. I've got a lot of leadership experience. And one of the kind of processes is becoming an orderland, becoming a priest, a deacon, a priest, um, is think, thinking about. And I think there's different schools of folk thought about it, about what it means to be a priest. And some people conflate the two together, leadership and, and priesthood. And there is some truth in that. But it's been, it's one of those things that you have to inhabit first to really think through what it is. And because I've had a lot of leadership experience, I think, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity to think that through for myself. And I personally think the two are different because they have, one is leaning in and leading and fixing and and starting in different ways. And you might do that in authoritarian ways, libertarian ways, you know, you could do that in a million ways. But priesthood. Is something about, and I'm still finding the words for it. And um, there's something about the priest's craft that is making space for someone that I see in my mind as I'm speaking about almost a, a well, that a stillness of water, a space for somebody else to be present, and that you're holding that space um, in some sort of way. And it's just been interesting to spend time thinking about what that means and working that out for myself. There, there will be other Christian leaders anglicans or other churches that have a kind of presbyterian type structure But in terms of really understanding those orders, it's been been really important to do that. And and we've been coming through some interesting times, big changes. There's everything from, you know, the death of the Queen and the the coronation and all of the questions that that has raised. Um, We continue to be in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and the COVID pandemic and thinking through all of those things. Leadership is a really important theme for all of us because you're looking at, you know, institutions and leadership structures that are just not working in the way that we've been raised to imagine that they would. And so I feel like that we're in a very special moment, Kairos moment. We have been for a long time and what that has meant for different people, wherever they are. Um, has been powerful and you know I know that my language has developed so much in this time and my thinking about these things has, 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 has had to develop so there are multiple questions here there are questions about uh, all of us I do believe that we've got this world priesthood all of us so everybody under the sound of my voice God gives purpose to and has has a calling for you And what does that look like in the secular world? What does that look like um, if you're you're trying to navigate a church somewhere and help them be the the early church, be (laughs) the church in this generation in some sort of way? There's a lot here and and there's so much data. And you just need that priestliness just to sit back at the moment because, you know, right now people will know immemorial what's been going on in Gaza, what is going on between Israel, and the heartbrokenness that we are in, that, you know, just to hear how the narratives that are placed are are at play, that, you know, all, all your school book training about um propaganda and, and that spin and the use of this, these dynamics around us and just seeing it. And it's 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 painful to see. It also makes me think, you know what, God, you must be close because. All sorts of things are coming out of the pores of this particular society at this moment, and we're just praying into that.
1: Uh, I, maybe, maybe this is this is part of the conversation. Maybe this is going to lead into our our last words as well. But you've been more involved in the the kind of instant You've been the public face of of institutions. You worked for schools, and now you work for the Church of England, and and so you're kind of closer to the the coal face. When, as it were than i am because i kind of on the outside of some of those institutions so you know, how, how are you feeling about actually working for or how do you feel about these institutions and your role in them as a priest during this time of just if we feel like all institutions are sort of collapsing these days or we're lo- losing the thread mm. how, how are you keeping sane or what how do you keep your soul healthy in this time
0: I am grateful for the relationships that I have around me. God has been moving a lot of relationships. Anybody, anything that wasn't healthy has gone. <laughs> and right. and, those, and those that are, you know, life-giving and wise and believe me, you know is is though know, those things are a blessing to me. So you know because especially, I know I have a heart that feels deeply these things, and you have to have the boundaries and you need the support from other people that God is not into this kind of individualistic. Or leadership model you're you are you know you see the baby jesus held by mary there's a there is there is a kind of culture and community that's behind you that that saw your leadership and called it into being in some sort of way um and that's the role of the church i suppose you, we're, we're trying to work it out what is your role you know I know that I I've been filling in forms for other people since I was a kid so yeah. there's there's something about that calling to advocacy that has been walked with me a long long time and um I'm very grateful for to my mom and her way of teaching me about who Jesus was and the justice within that because that that is written upon my heart so there, there are. I've done different jobs, and you've been a. But you are this rock of. <laughs> you know, this rock of stick, <laughs> stick of rock, sorry, that with these words Jesus written <laughs> through you and the love of God written through you. And yeah, you we all get things wrong and I get annoyed. I'm looking at my temperament and I have to kind of boundary myself ab- about the kind of things that we're watching at this time because it's you know, I've got a deep heart for children and well their well-being and it's it's not easy. You know, other people will know that there's people who've had to go through those experiences everybody's in a lot of trauma and I don't think there's a sometimes an understanding of how much that the people that feel most deeply the reason they feel deeply is because some of them have been through this stuff so it means everything to them and it's not that people are just inert it's you know we're at some precipice and it's just really you know to be thinking and and discovering so many things about ourselves the bits that we don't have courage for you know, you can feel that I need God to help me deal, even think about dealing with this particular thing. But then, you know, the spirit is there doing all sorts of creative stuff. I've just spent the last 18 months and then 12 months dreaming about doing some prayer ministry, um, prayer resources, creating prayer resources for schools and churches that are dealing with serious youth violence. And so, in answer to your question from ages ago about how you're helping those structures, um, particularly in someone like the Church of England, uh, its history is about, you know, bloody around what kind of theology and what kind of prayers are being prayed over you. So, the, the liturgy is a contested space. I, I got to take a lead on writing a, a, a prayer resource, which I'm looking around, so I could have shown you um, um, that. Has four different liturgies, looking and thinking about the issue of serious youth violence in our communities, and drawing on people intercessors who who are working within youth work or have lost a child, or and also running a competition for all the secondary schools in Southwark and in London. And so we got some art pieces. So it's been a kind of art related project that's now turned into a resource. And um, sadly, here in the UK, we have a young lady, Eliana Andam, who was killed in Croydon. And so it was used for her vigils and it's now available to churches and schools when the, the worst happens, that you've got something to say when the unspeakable things happen. and. If you want to do a kind of memorial or if you want to do an annual service to draw those issues to the surface and talk about it in a creative way. So, uh, you know, I'm grateful to God for those opportunities to learn how the structure of the Church of England works, uh, you know, and, and we pray together and our hearts prayer has the power to change hearts. So to be involved in that process was really great. And none of the stuff, went, if you'd gone by
1: yourself, if you just sort of gone off on your own individualistically, none of this would have happened. You wouldn't have been there for those people, right? You wouldn't have yeah, been able to. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think we,
0: our faith is about, it's not individualistic. I can't yeah, say right. it enough. Yeah. That is not an ideology that lines up with our faith. And yeah. it's, okay. it, it, we're in relationship. There is no kind of kamikaze person doing it just by themselves although we've got as individuals the responsibility to call out the community spaces that we're in when they're doing some nonsense but it's it's that balance of yeah. the individual and the group and and working together moses knows a lot about that it's stressful
1: <laughs> tell us about tell us about your what is something that you know to be true even if no one even if you can't prove it you know what is it that you know to be true
0: the yes, earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and Christ is king. And he is far deeper than even the Christian church wants to make him. They'd love to put him in a box and say he's ours. All things came through him all, of his own. He yeah. love and be with people. And we're going to have to catch up with the fact that, you know, all of our creeds, all of our, all of that knowledge up here is not going to change the fact that he loves and gave his life for us and whoever he chooses to save whether they are and and what also is true in that is that we are not fit to talk purity to anyone made in the image of God and I can't wait till our theology vomits that nonsense up you know whether that's around gender because there are deeply misogynistic ends of the church whether that's around race because whiteness is still staining i mean it's a salvation issue i think whiteness and white ideologies people are resting on that more than they are resting on this palestinian jew the life his life and his the, the meaning of his life and and it's a problem it's a real problem for me i see it as a salvation issue tell me more about that tell
1: us more about salvation issue I'm not arguing with you. This isn't about an argument. I am I want to know what do you mean by a salvation issue?
0: If people are, you know, the whole image of the baptism is that you are, you know, you die to all of these things. But if you're coming up out of that water, still holding on to a false ideology that is saying that power, our bodies, the pat the power, the mightiness of all of this world is a power structure that Orders, bodies, the value of bodies. These, these are all anti-incarnational. Yeah, right. Yeah. Narratives. Yeah. And, yeah, and 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 I would love the church to think more deeply about our use of, you know, from the medieval times, from Thomas Aquinas type stuff, Aristotle as the handmaiden of theology. This is a problem, and I'm not the first person to say that. But I'm just more, if all things came through Christ, then there's a fingerprint of Christ in every culture, in every philosophy. And you could stand on any philosophy and come to understand something about who Christ is. And the journey of the Western church has truncated that process. And people think that Jesus spread to the ends of the earth is alpha or or, or something like this. this. This is corporate. it's not that it's far deeper than that that you know the redeeming of all things you know there's that story of the obedient son you know which one was obedient we were reading it the other day in the lectionary but the i the story of this one son who says yes but yeah doesn't doesn't do what god asked him to do and one son that says no and does that and our understanding of our interfaith people's different journeys when when you've got a dynamic like whiteness operating there are people right now who cannot become christian not not just because of the racism that is pouring out of that white that that changeling version of christianity but because even if they are welcoming you in they're welcoming you in with an agenda And that agenda is tokenizing and dehumanizing of you so that you become the face, you become the optics in a particular organization rather than really seeing your humanity and what you're bringing, the gift that you are. So these are salvation issues on a personal level that if you are relying on whiteness to to help you, if you're offended by the fact that I say, you know, Jesus was a Palestinian Jew you know, if you're offended by that, like Mark, my nephew, you need to go back and have a look about why you're offended by Jesus. In His wisdom, to turn up halfway between the two of us, do you know what I mean? And show us that you know these these are Afro-Asiatic people of different backgrounds. They didn't come from. As we say in the Patois, they didn't come from nowhere. There's mightier people, greater, more whatever. That's right. That's but part God, of God in His grace, yeah. has gathered them and made them one. And and brought them together and given them a hope and a future. And this, if you're what's been marketed to you through whiteness that he, Jesus needs to be like this leadership of the church. And we've got some of our churches that have got snowy white peaks. they you know, it's 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 black and brown people are holding that church together. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, it's colonial, and you're having to say that to leaders. Wake mm-hmm. up. Come on. That you know. If you're if you're holding on to whiteness instead of Christ, that's a problem. That's. A I'm really reminded,
1: problem. like you know, the whole idea of uh, of what the uh, what the Antichrist is. You know, the Antichrist isn't some horror movie monster. The Antichrist, we're told very clearly, is the one who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Yes. So if you deny the brown Palestinian Jesus, you're
0: Antichrist. You are. And yeah. and and people aren't. When we we're you we've been using philosophies. There's problems in the Greek philosophy that we've used. Yeah, how can it's a bit like trying to read all of my cultures purely through a British uk lens you can't read it you have to go to the cultures and philosophies from which it 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 stemmed from so you know british museum has its issues for lots of people because half the stuff don't belong but if they're doing something on egypt I'm there because I want to understand Kemetic cosmologies because that is the mold from which Israel was made. If, if they're doing something on Babylon, I want to get why, you know, we have a book of the dead, we have the book of life. Why Why do you think these echoes are there? Go and look and ask those communities as to why, you know? and There's and a
1: brilliant room there. I mean, I'm sure there's political problems, colonialism and there is a brilliant room in the British Museum, which is all the the Gilgamesh material, have you, mm, you know, yes. the Babylonian, and you're walking around, and you're like, "Yeah, this is where, this is where, my culture came from." Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it came from these stories, and there's a flood narrative, and there's and the vision of kingship, and the Babel, uh, the Tower of Babel, and you're like, "Yeah, this is where mm. it all came from." There's something here that we really need to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and and so making time to immerse yourselves in versions of Christianity that are different to what we have been told is I think a really really important part of that journey of opening our heart up to what God might be saying to us globally you know it's not just going to be about whether this particular package is I mean it's arrogant this package managed to get to the ends of the earth it's got to be far deeper than that that's just such a capitalistic way of viewing it that and and as you said we've ended up with some of these philosophies are part of the reason our medical ethics are so screwed up you know that you you lose your humanity because you lose consciousness (laughs) because I think therefore I am is it has more to do with our understanding of personhood, yeah, yeah, than made in the image of God. So even you know, if you
1: said it, you see, we truncated. There's a kind of a, a truncated philosophy that we've adopted as if that's the whole of Christianity. When it's
0: it's part of it, you know, it's, a, it's part of it, it's and, not the whole. and and it, we can't disown it from the fact that you know, right now you go to certain parts of the world and the 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 Christianity that they are modelling themselves on is a, a western model of christianity that is is not does, is affected so affected by colonialism that it you really can't see a difference and it and it doesn't bring life to that community even even if even if they've got lots of bums on seats that it's not bringing life to that community it's not helping that community really look at their history and their future Um, i've been working with um st james's piccadilly just great friends, the um, rector there, Lucy Winkett, and also Dr. Ayla Lapine, uh, who's the associate rector. And we were looking at the life and times of Ottobo Coguano. And I've just been so excited by this this guy's life. He um, was kidnapped in the mid 18th century in, from Ghana. So he's 13. He remembers his family stories. He's eaten food (laughs) from his own lad he knows that he ends up being kidnapped he talks about it in his the life and times then he ends up in Grenada and almost immediately is um, picked up by somebody who then takes him to the UK so in his lifetime he has like four generations of what transatlantic slave trade did to a community and moving them round and he ends up in um, being baptised in St James's Piccadilly 250 years ago. And so they've been picking up on that theme because he then writes a book. I had known about him as an abolitionist because my undergraduate's in Caribbean studies and history, and you realize that even as you're learning things, you people are being put into particular boxes because we're so uncomfortable with the concept of an African or a, a brown person being a theologian, that you're, you, and I wasn't even a Christian at that point, so I wasn't even looking for you in that way. I'm taking it purely as a history historian. But to read his book, the decimation he gives there, I mean, I, I'm just blown away by the strength and power of this man's conviction. And he just disappears after that. And I'm just, it's just really excited me to think here you have a contemporary African speaking to that community at that time in that place. What kind of courage you had to be able to say that? And the the way he's thought through his arguments, I mean, they're just first class arguments. And it just, there's no excuse for us. We had at the time, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, we didn't know any better. No, God does that. There's always somebody. We almost always saying, did
1: know better. Yeah. Yeah. You always did.
0: You yeah. always did. And, and you know, and it was just one of those things to sit there and think, well, what would the image of this man's Christianity? He was so clear that the image of God was so important. What, How would it change the church if the image of God that Genesis 1, 27, this is a cornerstone point that we're we're dealing with rather than all the other petty excuses for exploiting other people that we've applied over hundreds of years we need to really go John Locke and Aristotle they need to be these means need to be taken out of our understanding and just really be sharper on made in the image of god and and if we can get to that point a lot of uh, i think a lot of our dramas will come come away i mean it's going to be a contested process because it's not just us here talking about it
1: okay let's talk about the future yeah what's what's coming down the the pike what's coming down in the future natasha that you think we should start getting ready for now
0: what comes to mind is there will be trouble ahead it's just not,
1: <laughs> okay this is, this, yeah, there's on. more
0: of, of this to come because we are vomiting our ideology that and and dependency on are uh, these institutions? I wonder if it must have felt like this when Augustine, you know, is dying and he's always writing "City of God," and the empire is is collapsing in different ways. And it's you know these things don't happen the same way that we think. But there was an interesting conversation between one of the ministers of China and some <laughs> interviewer asking about Britain. And in one conversation, you can hear that the economic hold that Britain has had is gone, you know. And if you weren't sure, we knew this before, but, you know, if you weren't sure about it, um, to see this country in the state that it is in, given that we know how much was taken from other places and how much was given in in the diversity of people, it's a shame. But there is something about things need to be revealed and we need to to come to terms with those difficulties because they've allowed us to stay very comfortable and at you know at at peace in some way or separate from the suffering that's going on in the rest of the world and you know we're start we've got a little bit of cozy living and everybody's screaming already in the housing and it is 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 just awful but this this is the logical conclusion of uh ideologies that have been laissez-faire and you know if it has a price sell it you can buy it you know some things that are are priceless and and we've lost that value and we will reap the whirlwind for it that's that's a secular world let's get to the church (laughs) the church personally I think the church has been you know we've got we've got some beautiful people that God has been calling to the church and I thank God for that beautiful people wanting, and, and the church is realising it's outside of an institution, it's it, it, these people of the tent that are, you know, observing things, learning things, growing in faith with God, in conversation with him, and that's a beautiful process that must happen, and if it's my calling to be part of helping people connect with that God more, then that's a good life, you know, I'm, I'm grateful, I don't have any particular ambitions or whatever um i'm really excited myself at the moment because i have i can say this what i can say is that i have a job working as a, a vicar somewhere i won't announce more than that until all things go through but i'm so excited to be doing that to be alongside a group of people because it, it's not about these big names and big all of this drama so it's the church becoming aware of itself outside of being an institution you outside of being that institution has been important yeah, right. it's been really important yeah. that you people are no. thinking they're not part of the church because they're not going to a church building No, you're your pilgrims you're working in different ways and you're having to because some of the stuff that's gone on in the institutional church has been a madness as a technical term yes. and, and needs <laughs> needed to be called out and needed yeah. you know
1: needed it well you said we're vomiting it yeah. out. i i mean you've been in, you've you've been in charismatic spaces same yeah. as me and i've watched people undergoing uh, deliverance ministry and it's interesting how sometimes people vomit they do when they when the demons are coming they're out coughing,
0: of them right? they're sneezing all of this stuff is coming up it's coming up and i just feel like we're having to because yeah. some of the situations that have gone on you, it's just obvious that the racism is just deep set. It's just yep, obvious yep. that, you know, the misogyny is deep set. And yep. and we're having yep. to. And so it, that's the bit that gives me hope that the fact that it's coming out means that the presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> that's the thing that's holding me. So I, I'm not without hope at all in this. And I'm quite prepared for it to get a lot worse because these issues need to be brought to the fore. And, you know, the spirit of the Lord is always looking for a heart that will mourn for these things in at, in due time and course. And so it would be great to do that. But in terms of in, inside the church, I think, you know, being, learning to be a priest has, I always had a respect for the sacraments in the sense that, you know, it, a Eucharist would be going on, and I could really feel it in my belly. So I could tell you that something's going on, and and you go to some spaces where, for whatever reason, that's not of great value to them. And I think that's interesting. The less that the the the, the I see them as betrothal gifts from Christ, um, even though they're going to be messed up by the stupidness that the church does, they are key to us. And when we don't have them, I think we end up with celebrity Christianity and emotionalism that can be really unsafe for people that have had difficult experiences. What has been interesting is, you know, how we treat, you know, these different sacraments. I'm really thinking them through, particularly around we've had this conversation, living in love and faith, LLF conversations. And, that has been interesting because i've just had to sit and think about how marriage has been used pimped <laughs> by the church in in different ways and that's not a good thing either you know we've we've sat with the state and said that a child born outside of marriage is illegitimate despite the fact that they're named before the foundation of the earth and and there's just i can't wait for god to come cuz you know when daddy gets here there's going to be some discipline i'm glad for that because i'm a person that has seen enough trauma that i long for the justice of god to come and i I know he's giving us a chance he's giving people a chance to repent but you know i i when i see him come i'm gonna be even if i don't make it (laughs) i'm like lord i'm glad you came because it's been a hot mess i was listening to uh (laughs) johnny
1: cash the johnny cash song when the man comes around i don't know, if you know <laughs> i that don't
0: song. but i'll look it up
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's all about this what you just said he's like he's looking forward to jesus coming back when the man comes around
4: <laughs> when the
1: man comes around hear the trumpets hear the pipers 100 million
4: angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices
1: calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's alpha and omega's kingdom come. What is your last word? You've got an audience in front of you, Natasha. There fellow travelers they're engaged they their hearts and brains are switched on uh, we got the best listeners you know that what do you want to say to them what do you want to say to them
0: never forget prayer it's a place of courage it's a secret place the hiding place of courage if you see anybody who's got courage like that their person who prays please do pray and use that courage well to walk out of places that don't know who god is and aren't holy because of the way they operate to so love people who are not like you and know that but it's ex- be expectant that you're going to meet with the image of god in them god is good and just he's merciful he's kind he's gracious to us all and he can't be himself without being those things
1: that sounds like a liturgy <laughs> that's a liturgy You write liturgy, don't you? I can tell. Oh, thank you, my friend. It's really nice to have captured your last words for the tent podcast. I'm so grateful that you're part of it. Well,
0: I'm so grateful to have spent time reflecting and meeting beautiful people, including yourself, us talking, all sorts of things, all the things. I'm so grateful to those people that listened as well. You're very kind. God bless
1: Welcome back to The Tent, Brad Jerzak. Thanks Um, so much. It's good to hear your voice. I mean, as people will know, for this series, The Last Word, I'm uh, revisiting uh, previous guests who, who have either been fan favorites or my own personal
4: favorite. And you're top of the list for both of those. So it's really nice to see you again. Yeah. Thank you for your friendship. That's the biggest thing to me. Oh, the uh
1: the one of the great things that's come out of this podcast, I feel like, is that I got to talk to you for so many times and, and have you involved in so many things. Yeah, so. likewise, likewise. What are you doing now since we last spoke, Brad? What's
4: what's on your horizon right now? Well, the big thing right now is my work at St. Stephen's University, and I, I wish people will uh, check out our website, SSU.ca, because we are able to provide grad studies wherever people live in the world and what we're doing is we are building bridges Uh, we are building bridges across ideologies of left and right conservative progressive Um, we're building bridges of peace with interfaith conversation and hospitality Uh, we're building bridges to walk over together with indigenous people in our reconciliation studies program and I just see that happening all the time now and I'm I'm just fresh off and quite high from our last on-site module uh, that included people coming over from Europe and from around North America. Uh, but we're starting another semester in January and very excited about about like a little place with seemingly lots of influence now because there seem there's a market for anybody who can transcend the rancor. And we're happy to do that. And and we're I'm now seeing it becoming a place of healing for people who have been unwelcomed, people from both sides, because we don't believe in sides, (laughs) coming around one table. It's just so gratifying. And so if there's people out there that are in the market for that, um, we might be able to help you. And so check us out, ssu.ca. Oh, that's good. I know sometimes I teach for the, the peace studies masters that you do the
1: what's it called what's the actual name of the course that uh
4: yeah it's peace studies but uh we call it the Jim Forrest Institute right now because Jim Forrest was a tremendous peacemaker and peace builder and friends with people like Dorothy Day from the Catholic Workers Movement Thich Nhat Uh, Hanh was one of his best friends the great Buddhist peacemaker and uh, Thomas Merton you know so we named it after him with the blessing with his blood. He was a patron of ours and he's passed away, but his wife has given us a blessing to, to say, look, at if you're going to do work in religion, peace and justice, then then Jim's a good model. Oh, wow. Wow. And you're a great <laughs> guest lecturer. Thank you. Or adjunct or whatever we call you. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Most welcome.
1: It's fun to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Well, well, I, I do hope that people I, I'll actually put that stuff in the show notes so that people will know. Where to find but plugging the ssu is a, is a lovely side effect of you having being on this uh this show but this isn't the main point the main no. point is to find out from you Brad what do you believe to be true even if you can't prove it
4: yes well this came up in a 12 step meeting that i was part of that included christians ex christians pagans agnostics wiccans you name it right <laughs> they were all there and so it um I've come to this conclusion that whoever or whatever God is or isn't, that God is love. And I I don't need to prove it, but I can experience it and I witness it. And one of the places I witness it is in the the radical transformation of, of people who need healing. So, for example, in that same meeting, there was a... There's a guy who said, well, I don't know that I believe in God, but I know this, I'm a miracle. And why is he a miracle? Well, because he couldn't stay clean or sober from his addictions for one week. And he had just got his three-year chip. And he said, there's no explanation for that. So maybe I'm spiritual after all, you know, he, he in just all this vagueness. And so I think that there, whoever, whatever God is or isn't, there is a, there is a, transforming kind of healing love in this universe that it can't be less personal than the most personal person you know you know like if you're part of the universe i have come to believe that that the perfect expression of that was jesus christ and i'm i'm unapologetically jesus even when i'm um, rejecting the christian label because it's not anymore so i i mean that's still my camp but i don't care about camps what i what i care about is what love looks like in this world and i i hold christ to be the one who showed me what love looks like in extremes of being even tortured and murdered
1: How does one
4: feel loved
1: you know I, i i also want to i want to believe or i want i want to believe that god is love but i don't always feel loved in my core being i don't always feel that or i don't i don't know if i've ever really felt that like what do you what would you counsel somebody like me or if there's other people out there who are would also say that
4: oh that's brilliant and, and I especially hear this from people who are autistic okay who even a married man who's autistic when his wife says I love you he, he has that means nothing to him so I think that it's not about a psychology of love like what does that feel like somewhere in your body or your soul or something it has to be bigger than that so in uh, you might add, instead of saying, what does love feel like? We can ask, what does love look like? And so in my life, what love looks like are the caring kind of people who I identify with. That's what love looks like. And in my heart, when I'm, or in my life, when I'm like, love looks like helping me change what I couldn't change, it looks like cleansing me of things I couldn't wash off in a thousand showers it looks like people or even a sense of what is doing right doing justice loving mercy so yeah micah 6 8 is what love looks like will i have a an emotional uh, sensation of that oh probably not (laughs) Um, sometimes the few times when i felt it so deeply that i wept it was experiences of being held And cared for by a disabled man, it felt like a moment of clarity that helped me say no to my addictions when I knew I didn't have that power in me. So I think that that might then, when you frame it that way, it looks like a lot of things that you've actually directly experienced. And instead of trying to locate it in an emotional framework, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, it has it. That really does. It. It's. It's interesting how. Often in terms of mental health or therapy, you're meant to really focus like count your blessings, (laughs) like gratitude. Gratitude. Pay pay attention to the moment. Like what have you got right now? Right? Because so anxiety is this is this constantly taking you out of the moment. And it's always fear about the present or the or the past or the future. Yeah. Like, well, what if you are in the moment? What have you got right now? And that and what you're just saying now almost put me in that same frame of mind
4: yeah yeah gratitude is how you open your hands to divine love and so i'm I'm just a flash memory uh sitting with my grandson as he's singing when he's pre-verbal while we're watching birds (laughs) eat peanuts from my railing and i'm like this is literally the best moment of my life wow okay that that's where i saw love and in that case that's where I felt it too I mean that was okay this is this is something eternal this is something big this is something that trumps all of the the actual garbage that's out there and co-suffering love who are the people picking through rubble helping others at risk of their own life that's what love looks like too you know in a broken world okay
1: well you almost make me want to shut down this interview right now and go off now and just experience your many love.
4: blessings name them <laughs> one by one
1: <laughs> oh yeah you're very yeah that's very sunday school of you i was i went straight to the song more than a feeling <laughs>
4: oh yeah 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 yeah
1: <laughs> oh that's good
4: that's uh, what well, i always say when someone says i feel old i say you no know, it's more than a feeling it's more than a feeling
1: <laughs> I mean, what do you you know the other question that i've been asking of some of our guests and in fact it's, it is a question here's here's a look behind how the sausages are made in the factory. Because this is actually a question that you and I came up with when you were making the series on deconstruction, which was the question of the future. I'm really interested that you're, you know, you're a wise guy, you, you, you observe things really well. You have a lot of different voices speaking into your life. You come across lots of different types of people and situations. Do you have a hunch or do you have a, a gut instinct of what's coming down from the future that we could be preparing for now? Again, you can't prove it. I'm not looking for footnotes i'm just saying what do you think is coming in from the future that we could start to prepare for now
4: yeah well i probably could provide receipts in terms of the trajectory that we're now on and so this will get better maybe in our next question but i'm i'm it's dire i do not like where things are heading i am i am watching people well give and it has to do with direct opposition towards love forgiveness and peacemaking and so specifically um, online i watched people who in their deconstruction have uh uh, have despaired in 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 these kind of ways where they've they they went from well i i don't like church anymore but i like jesus well i don't know about jesus anymore but i i am into love actually no love doesn't win and I'm like, oh, oh. So now having to make an apologetic for the practice of love in this world, and then like that, one of the reasons that they are concluding love doesn't win is because there is there they are rejecting and renouncing the importance of forgiveness, and that they that in the in the conservative Christian world, it's three quarters of them think forgiveness is complicity or is compromised with unrighteousness and in the progressive world that it's complicity with injustice and that, that that there is a profound resistance even inside of practicing christian churches and how much more so beyond that maybe um against forgiveness that forgiveness doesn't work and isn't appropriate and in fact it's causing the problem and then and because of how it's been co-opted and misused but then a renunciation of forgiveness is not a correction to its misuse and then even uh peacemaking that every it seems like uh i have to create a defense of even proposing peace as a way as the way and that people are are sowing violence hoping to bring justice not realizing that they're creating the next generation of terrorists and fascists their children are watching this it's and so it it's getting worse it got much worse this week
1: but this week you mean you mean israel gaza
4: yeah sorry yeah this may post later but yeah the israel gaza situation where what the terrorists did to the Jews gets justified because of the injustices and oppression they've been living under. And then the resulting anti-Semitism gets justified because of the terrorist attack. And it's like, could we just agree to stop killing children? No, 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 we can't do that. Yeah, I've that seen doesn't that. work. I've, I and have we've, seen that online. How many times do we have to replay this record and show it doesn't work? And yet I'm, you know, and then peacemaking gets called naive. I'm like no here's what's naive billions and billions of dollars of death dealing thinking you're ending a cycle of violence by paying into it so I'm I'm feeling really discouraged about that because any counter narrative to what i've just given just sounds magical to me some like what some fairy godmother's going to show up or Jesus will float across the sky with a sword coming out of his mouth this is not no we're just facing consequences of our actions and we're act- deliberately feeding them and even people of good faith have lost hope and and uh so i want to start with empathy i suppose and i want to say i'm going to sow peace anyway and jesus did on the one hand it got him killed on the other hand he changed the world so, when you think about Gandhi, you think about Martin Luther King. These these folks sacrificed for pe- a, a a a way of peace. Short term, it looked bad, but longer term, it's they don't they're the heroes of history now. So, I guess I want to be on the right side of history, even if it's not utilitarian at this point.
1: And what does it? You said you know things are dire. I mean, what does a what does a world look like? what What does it look like in twenty years from now when there's no forgiveness?
4: Well, if we survive, you know, yeah, yeah. The thought experiment I do, I think I did it in my Amber's book, is just if my grandson's granddaughter is mm-hmm. in the last generation of people on Earth, why, why wouldn't it end that way? Mm-hmm. And so, and then any answer I hear, that's what we have. Pollyanna answers about that. It's mm-hmm. like, well, it'll fix itself. No, mm-hmm. you have to sow something different, and we mm-hmm. aren't willing to yet. Maybe at some point we'll bottom out like any good addict does and we'll see what emerges from the rubble but it looks pretty rubbly on the horizon right now I mean it's interesting you mentioned the word addict because I was
1: I was going to talk about how it's almost like people are drunk on vengeance they're drunk on that I mean to the point you're right where even physical evidence of children being slaughtered by the hundreds every day doesn't actually it almost fuels the drunken revenge
4: yeah 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 and it feeds it feeds the the narrative of the whoever your enemy is vengeance on them feeds their narrative (laughs) so yes exactly exactly
1: yeah yeah because the 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 killing of children is the point now it's not they don't even pretend i mean we've i've seen some speeches from netanyahu yesterday where he's deliberately quoting the
4: Amalekites, yeah, yeah, where you kill every child. I mean, that's the point. You know, show no mercy. Yeah. 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 So and and then that becomes an excuse for global anti-Semitism. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's, and I've seen that's that not too solution. now. Yeah. Exactly. It's and that, and so now we've seen terrible. that. Yeah. I would say I'm very proud of the Jews who gathered in New York City to protest because when the Christians forgot what it's about, here was some Jews who didn't. And, and I'm like, they they are calling for justice and for peace for the people who have are supposed to be their enemies and they they but they've you know the holocaust happened in my mom's lifetime oh so yeah this is so fresh yeah. you know yeah. yeah and so it takes courage for them but I, I i wish the christian church had the same courage but i'm not seeing a lot of that no i don't see
1: any of that do you uh where, where do you think the church is going to be in 20 years the state of christianity if you do a snapshot what do you what does your hunch think it's going to
4: look like i don't know i i don't think it'll be very it's already the trajectory is that the church will have very little to do with following jesus so uh, if there is a remnant to be had it would be those who follow jesus and i don't i don't see them well i see it being a minority report and that may not be called the church even or or it'll be the whole thing we'll begin to see that that it's something far bigger than the institution that the when the institution becomes irrelevant we'll look for exchanges of grace and we'll find them so that part's good and if that's what actual church is and whatever the label is very very slippery right now yeah
1: what, what can people be doing to prepare for this future what do you think now we
4: could yeah so I want to I would go back to the things that I mentioned that were unraveling and so I would say we have to we have to prepare our hearts and minds with an instinct for love forgiveness and peacemaking and and so that when it's challenged we don't just jump off the wagon like so many have I'll give you a practical example of how it feels so it feels like this when you're driving down a a road and there I don't know if you have hitchhikers in 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 the UK but in Canada we we still have some hitchhikers your car is going fast enough that you can't decide whether to pull over or not you just do what you're you've prepared yourself to do so my friend Dave always pulls over because he's pre-programmed pulling over for hitchhikers to help them into his instincts and then i have other friends where it's like their instinct is to never stop for a hitchhiker but they don't decide that it's just they've programmed that and i think that the same has to is, is true of love forgiveness and peacemaking has to be so instilled in your character and prayed into it practiced into it in the little ways so that that's the instinct that kicks in it's a little bit also like the kind of people who when they see a car accident or they you know that they run away and then there's others that run toward and i'm always fascinated watching an incident in a crowd of which direction people are running And some of them, it's the right, you know, it's the right thing to do for them to run away. I, you know, but I'm just saying that, that the instinct has to be instilled right now for what's coming. These aren't
1: decisions you make. They're not actually decisions you're weighing in the moment. They're decisions you've already made before yeah. you've even aware of what was gonna happen.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And and we still may like for me, I'll still struggle. Like I my instinct may be. <laughs> a bad instinct may kick in and some of my old tendencies from being bullied to become the bully that might that might jump out in but i so i know that and so i'm working on it all the time and praying blessed are the peacemakers they will be called children of god like every day for 10 years now because i know that that's not my history and so if i want something different to come out with what's coming down the pipe then i better that's how I get ready. Again, self-awareness is interesting, isn't it? That we don't just yeah. repeat these kind of ingrained lizard
1: brain habits of ours without assessing them. We're actually aware of our instincts. So yeah, and, and that's interesting.
4: It's good. Bit of yeah. The, good. <laughs> well, and just even, even the ability to live from your, what is it, the prefrontal cortex yeah. instead yeah. of the amygdala. That yeah. takes practice through mindfulness meditation, wh- however you want to do it where do you live from in your heart might be another way to say i mean this this might lead very well to the to the last question
1: i want to ask you which is you know you've got an audience now in front of you listening to this they've all been following the tent now for three years and they're a bunch of committed engaged fellow travelers what do you want to say to them what would be your last word to the tent fellow traveler
4: audience yeah i suppose i've I have been answering that question, haven't I? I think the the last word would be to that this is a time to make a deep commitment to choose a way and to walk in it when you're not in crises, so that it's your automatic response when you are in crises. And the way I am proposing is the way of of self giving, radically forgiving, co suffering love. That I and I. Personally, I see the, the the cross of Christ as the archetype of that, because it's not. He's not. <laughs> that's about how to become human. We actually are going to have to learn how to become human. I don't believe. You know, I know that we're born as biological Homo sapiens, but becoming human is a lifelong process. And I'm defining human in the way that Jesus died: self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love and that means um, it's a choice between humanizing and dehumanizing at every point and and the test case so hamas for example or netanyahu for example they're not the exceptions to this they're the test case it's in other in other words will we live that way in the face of terrorists and tyrants or is that our excuse not to because You'll end up joining one of them at some point, at least in your heart, and you don't want to dehumanize yourself that way. So let's become human together. Brad, thank that's you my so last word. Yeah,
1: thank you so much <laughs> for sharing these words with us. I love it. I, I, I really appreciate that you took the time. And I know you've got a lot going on in your life, uh, with your friends and your work and things going on. So I, I I will release you back to your life. But thank you for sharing. Thank you. I
4: look. We've got to find an, a different excuse now to see each other. But I always I always feel uplifted when I see you, and especially your smile. Sorry that your viewers can't see it right now, but you can put that in the show notes to to your I'll, smile.
1: <laughs> I'll put a smile emoji. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Very nice to see you. Go well. All right. Bless you have a good one. Ciao.
0: listening. Thanks to David Backhouse for the theme tune, and to Chris Marchand for editing and all the other music. This show only exists because of support from listeners like you. If you have found something we made to be good or useful, please consider becoming a patron at the Tent Talks Patreon page, or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen. This really helps. For more information, visit www.tenttheology.com.